Hi. Welcome to Colonial Williamsburg, past and present on History.org. This is Behind the Scenes, where you meet the people who work here. That's my job. I'm Lloyd Dobbins, and mostly I ask questions. An 18th century apothecary might serve his community as surgeon, pharmacist, and general practitioner. Susan Pryor, a medical historian, is here with me now to talk about the trade and Colonial Williamsburg apothecaries and all that sort of thing. There was one, wasn't there? There were eight, actually, oh, in 1774 okay. uh, in Williamsburg. You're in the apothecary shop. Uh, you've opened up in the morning. What are you going to see? Okay. Well, first and foremost, an apothecary is a combination doctor, druggist, dentist, surgeon, sometimes midwife. The apothecary store is just that. It's a store where um, imported ingredients for medicines and those medications uh, will be sold. You'll also find a variety of grocery items as well. So anything that can come over from Europe uh, via trade with London can be sold in an apothecary run by a doctor. Apothecaries would hand mix? Yes. Everything is manufactured by the doctor. Um, most of the drugs were liquid. They could take a number of days or even weeks to complete. Solid forms of medicine could be completed within a couple of days. But what made the apothecary um, different was that the ingredients were unique. They were mineral, metal, chemical, botanical. They were things that people did not have in their herb gardens. Mm. So it's a, the herb garden was the, the first thing used by individuals for health care. But then the doctor was step two. Did the stuff that was mixed up in the apothecary shop work? Very often. Uh, much of it is still in use today. Oh, really? uh, synthetic formulas today. Mm -hmm. uh, Digitalis was a new medicine coming uh, out of England in 1774, though I don't think it's in use in the colonies till the 80s, 1780s. Um, Sincona bark, what is today quinine, uh, was available. And, uh, intermittent fever, which was the original term for malaria, was a huge problem here. Um, senna, a common laxative, uh, was, which is still in use today, was sold in the 18th century. Ipecac, what we give our kids when they get into something poisonous. So much of it had effectiveness, but it is treatment as opposed to cure. Mm -hmm. Okay, but that, I mean, at least you can be, there is a treatment yes, for it. Yes, there is uh, a treatment, yeah. So you could go to the apothecary mm -hmm. and get the treatment. Mm -hmm. uh, and hopefully uh, you were strong enough to fight off the infection. Well, <laughs> you can't have everything. That's right. <laughs> when do we start thinking about cure or prevention rather than treatment? Um, Cures are going to come along more in the, the 20th century, uh, especially with bacterial infections once we get antibiotics. Um, viruses can be treated even today, but the, you know, antiviral medications are kind of a new thing for, uh, that goes, will go a little further. Um, prevention, more after the germ theory is developed. It's first proposed in 1878, but early 20th century before it's accepted. So the idea of knowing what to prevent is another century in the oh, future from, yeah. from where I work. If, uh, if you don't know what you're preventing, it's very unlikely okay. you can prevent right. it. The closest thing you'd come would be smallpox inoculation, and that's technically not a prevention because you have to get sick with smallpox in a mild case before you can prevent a serious case. Now, uh, germ theory. Mm -hmm. I, uh, germs were seeds, mm -hmm. right? 
and mm -hmm. you you planted a germ of something and it grew. That's that's the the normal definition of the word germ in in this context. Um, animaculae will be the term describing what we know of as germs today. That's the term used by Leeuwenhoek in the 1630s when he's looking at his new microscope and he sees those little things squiggling around in there. Um, so he actually sees germs. He just doesn't know what he's looking at. And yeah. they will pretty much be ignored until the 19th century as technology improves to um, kind of point the finger at the germ as being the cause of disease. Okay, so you don't have a hope of preventing disease Not at really. the apothecary shop. Other than recommending that people should eat proper food, get proper amounts of rest and exercise, that's general health care. Mm -hmm. um, preventing chickenpox, smallpox, colds, flu. Not, not really, not in the sense that um, we might say today, wash your hands uh, with soap and water frequently to mm -hmm. prevent the spread of germs. In the apothecary shop, you have a hundred people walk in mm -hmm. who don't feel well mm -hmm. or, or feel something is wrong. Of the hundred people, let's say none has a serious disease, okay. how many can you help, sort of on average? Um, well, it's going to depend on a lot of factors. Um, specifics on what they have, number mm -hmm. one. Um, probably most of them, okay. at least a little bit. Um, now, there, there's, there's one awkward thing there. The, the patient would not come to the apothecary shop because it's a store. Oh, okay. The doctor would travel to the patient. So of, of 100 random patients, depending on what the problem was, there, there is effective treatment for most things. But How about headache? What, what you'll see are um, treatments for migraines recommended, uh, mm -hmm. coffee would be recommended. The patient should stay away from the light and stay away from sounds and smells, just like they would be recommended to do today. Yeah. Your basic tension headache, um, something aromatic to apply and anoint into the head, um, lavender oil, rose oil, kind of early aromatherapy. Um, you'll also see what we today might call uh, allergies, uh, headaches, um, sinus headaches but the concept of allergy wasn't around at the time, so they're not equating it with the pollen count. But uh, a sinus headache could be treated with camphor as an inhalant to open up the sinus passages, similar to the camphor-based drugs that we would still use today. So actually, a lot of the things that we are still using were developed mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. or, or, or were, were in common use. Yeah. We, we, we've taken it a little further, we've synthesized, we've uh, removed superfluous ingredients, retaining active ingredients, we've made some modifications, but yes, very many of them are just further developments of, in most cases, professional drugs, but in some cases, um, folk remedies. Are folk remedies that effective? Depends. In some cases, yes. In other cases, no. That's not to say they're harmful either necessarily, but they're not necessarily active. Mm -hmm. um, th there were many of them. People made up their own. Many folk remedies stayed within households and families. Because everybody learned how to use the herbal things different ways. Some were able to uh, increase their knowledge through books. Others had to retain in the memory what was being used. Um, 
in most cases, what you're using are common garden herbs. They're things you're, that are being used in cooking, so there's not necessarily a health risk to them, mm. but there's also not necessarily a health val- benefit. Val- benefit either. Um, the general population in Williamsburg, mm-hmm. was smallpox a big deal? It's a big epidemic problem. came through about every 20 years. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of cyclical thing. Yeah. Because it has to hit a new population base each generation. Oh, okay. Because once you get it and live, you're you're um, healthy. You're 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 not susceptible. So once it runs through a population and uses up all of its viable hosts, it has to go elsewhere until there's a new set of viable hosts again. What other diseases or fevers or were ordinary or common or everyday or the the intermittent fever, the malaria, uh, is what we would consider an, an endemic condition. It's it's always present. It's an incurable condition, so it can flare up at any time. It does have spike seasons, spring and fall. Uh, measles will kind of follow the smallpox route, being more epidemic. Chickenpox and mumps as well. The, the, the ch- childhood illnesses that we have today were around in the 18th century. Cold they had been. Mm-hmm. Um, tapeworm is listed quite frequently. Um, very often in the late summer, um, dysentery, diphtheria, respiratory problems in the winter, yeah, you know, well, pneumonia, things like that. Yeah. Were there treatments? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Depends on the symptom. This is, yeah. this is all, all involving each specific symptom. Um, pneumonia, for example, because there's often uh, congestion in the chest. Expectorants, uh, garlic syrup would be used. Ooh. Yeah. I, Hope, helps if you like garlic. <laughs> For all of the diseases that produce mar- marks, the chickenpox, the measles, the smallpox, uh, calamine would be applied, not only to help itching, but to help dry up the pock marks. Mm-hmm. The difference with smallpox is that each of those marks is going to scar permanently, whereas with the chickenpox or the measles, they do fade away unless they are repeatedly scratched at. You said uh, something came around summer and winter. Mm-hmm. Why summer and winter? Um, it, it's hard to say. It's just like today for us, we always have cold and flu season, you know, yeah. in, the, in, the, in the winter. You know, your respiratory conditions are going to come through. Um, so you see pneumonias. Um, influenza is a term, or a description of disease. Uh, tapeworm is listed in the records very often at the end of August, early September. Uh, one way to get tapeworm is eating meat, not just beef, but meat that's not been cooked correctly, but also there are worms, intestinal worms, from consuming unripe fruit. So there could be um, something to that. One of the doctors in the city kept a seasonal log from 1745 to 81. Oh, that's, yeah. It's a wonderful document because it does give you the cyclical nature of those conditions that were present here in the city. Um, So using that document, we're able to determine Uh, seasonal conditions. Let us know what you think about the show. Submit your feedback at www.history.org slash podcasts. That's Colonial Williamsburg, past and present this time. Check history.org often. We'll post more for you to download and hear. (laughs) 